reporting to you live uh, from an undisclosed location, June 14th, 2020. You're still on the air. Hello. We have not gone away as of yet. Um, I, I, I told the internet to expect the tinfoil hats to be out in full swing for the Jacob's Ladder episode. Uh, people seem to like it, so that's good. Oh, good. I'm glad yeah, to they, hear that. They enjoyed our, our, uh, our, uh, our full tilt boogie, as it were. Woo! Well, that's good to know. We're a little less tilted this week, though. Uh, this is just nice. This, this is, is not a tilty movie. No, no. this is no. just nice. This feels good. This is a warm blanket on a, a it's, hard it, week. It's tilting <laughs> at windmills. It's a little quixotic. You know, oh, well, you know well, I like it when things are quixotic. Don Quixotic. <laughs> Joe now we're Quixote. just playing with words. That's a good. Uh, hey, tell Joey Odie. Justin, do the thing. <laughs> we're laughing. Do the thing. <laughs> hey, hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Good Trash Undercast, where we gather around table. We discuss films you'll never discuss in any film studies course. This week's film is Hayao Miyazaki's uh, The Castle, Castle of, of Cagliostro, Cagliostro, which is also called Lupin the Third. Uh, colon, the Castle of Cagliostro. I like that, uh, yeah, it's officially just the Castle of Cagliostro. Are you, American movies gotta, like, put the name of the property in front. There's a bunch of colons. No, you can just put Lupin the Third on the promotional materials. You don't need to. People will figure it out. Exactly. And so, but for your, um, you know, I guess, further information, we are looking at the third installment of Lupin. No, um, no that's not. <laughs> he's God, a, here he's, come the he's comments. A, he's the third When does Sam Jackson show up to recruit him? Ah, oh, Jesus. Here we go. Uh, and it is Kind of an, a literary Avengers. It's really more of a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So, like, situation. there's there's Eric Bana, um, oh Lupin. No, and <laughs> no, no. I don't want to talk and about David Thewlis as Lupin. <laughs> talking about and a then Jap- finally Ma- no, Mark no, Ruffalo. No, no. We're talking about a Japanese movie from the what 70s. I don't want to talk about superhero movies this week. For once, <laughs> let's avoid it. Um, yeah, but we're talking about this movie, and we want to warn you, dear listener. Even though this movie's from 1979, it is actually older than me, which for is. Once. He got gotcha. you. You knew it was coming. You shouldn't have teed him up like that. Huh. You, yeah. You, hey, don't don't set the bear up if you don't want him to pounce. All right. Anyway, um, even though it's that old, we're not going to spoil it um, because once it gets so old, you cannot spoil it anymore. It's so fresh and so matured. But nonetheless, uh, we will be avoiding spoilers for the first part of the show. What we'll do is a synopsis, a quick little thumbs up, thumbs down review section. We'll move into an expanding the syllabus section, which might be lightly spoilerific, and then we'll get down to business. And that business will involve many, many spoilers, but you'll be warned by some kicking music. So there you go. That there was you know. a little bit twisty than Dustin normally does it so in case you got lost at any point that was fast you were ooh, you were driving like Lupin the third on I'm that just, one i'm just getting it done man yeah look spoilers will be at the end we do analysis not review but yeah we got to tell you what we think about the movie so you know where we're at i keep it tight i keep it right he does so that. arthur let's hear that synopsis buddy all right hayo miyazaki's theatrical <laughs> feature link directorial debut is based around a property he was familiar with Having worked as an animator in TV, Miyazaki had done work on Loop and the Third Materials before. Taking the titular thief to the big screen in his second feature film appearance, Miyazaki debuted a number of the stylistic flourishes he would later be well regarded for. In his story of Cagliostro, Loop and the Third is a master thief whose latest job proved to be in vain as the money was counterfeit. This takes him and his friend uh, Daisuke to the castle of Cagliostro, the rumored home of the highest quality counterfeit bills around. En route, they encounter a young bride named Clarice being chased. Lupin <laughs> intervenes, but she is still captured and sent to the castle of Cagliostro. Clarice is to be wed to the Count of Cagliostro, who only wants her for a fabled family treasure. Can Lupin save the day and steal the girl? Though not an immediate hit, and faced with criticism of its portrayal of the Lupin character, the castle of Cagliostro has become one of the most lauded, respected, and influential animes of all time, entering a sphere alongside titles such as Akira. Nice, nice. I was very sad that the Count never said hello, Clarice. Um... Or one, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> a lot of good Count jokes happen. I'm enjoying this. So uh, uh, This is also, a, weirdly, uh, the same week that we're recording this is when Hannibal dropped on Netflix, which I've started rewatching it. Hannibal. Uh, so he knows what to do in it. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> lots, of, lots of connections. We're having fun. We're, yeah, we're definitely um, connecting many dots. Um, Arthur, connect the dots as to your appreciation, if you would, sir. Do you like the castle of Cagliostro? You know what? I, I uh, really enjoyed this one. It was just a fun time. It was kind of ref- Refreshing and relaxing to watch something a little more enjoyable, like family, fun, rompy, yeah, bubbly, romp. and light. Yeah, it was it was a good time. Uh, beautiful animation. It's the I white think. claw of films. Really. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know if I'd go that far. 
That's kind of mean. <laughs> no, no, I think mean. it. No, I don't know. I thought, White Claw is cool. You guys, you guys don't know about this. I don't know. We <laughs> don't. Oh, White Claw is cool. Okay. okay. Yeah. See, this is why I have to stay on the show. Um, I'm I'm the one that keeps us plugged into what uh, what culture at large thinks, and as they're not hack yet, they're on their way. Okay. We got about a week of them be- that being a compliment. Left, I think <laughs> okay. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I was thinking bubbly and light because that's how yeah, they advertise. There you go. I think this film is uh, really pretty to look at. I mean, it's just some gorgeous animation, some gorgeous still shots, some great you know cinematography type stuff going on here. Um, I like uh, I like the pay. I like this an hour and forty minutes. A lot of my kind of engagement with anime or well Miyazaki, Miyazaki especially yeah, yeah is a little longer, a little more methodical in its approach. And it's very I think typical to a lot of the Japanese cinema I've seen, especially uh, some of the Kurosawa stuff I've seen. Uh, so for this to be a little uh, more, I guess quote unquote action packed or you know mm-hmm. uh, straight to the point was uh, kind of refreshing in that regard. So I, I really got a kick out of that. A great cast of characters here, uh, Lupin and all of his friends. Uh, uh, the undercover uh, maiden at the castle is a lot of fun. Uh, uh, yeah, him and his crew rolling. Fujiko, in. yeah, they're all great. Yeah, it, it's just a fun cast of Fuji characters. cakes. Um, Once, by my translation, well, that's no, that's what he calls her. It's her nickname. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's very fun. Um, it's a great world and some fun story direction. Uh, it's just kind of simple yet fulfilling and enjoyable, and I I really enjoyed it for that. Uh, it was a nice kind of change of pace, and really, this kind of the first. Uh, Miyazaki film I've watched and like oh maybe I should go ahead and watch some of his other stuff because yeah I've, I've liked the stuff I've seen but I've never been tempted to go mm-hmm. and into a Miyazaki deep dive um, but this one is kind of a good seed to go down that road so yeah I had fun with this one Otaku Arthur is coming very cool very cool well, what do you think Dalton do you like this movie yeah I'm right there with Arthur um, it, it's fun to go back because you know we we did Nasca in the Valley of the Wind um, for our anime marathon many years ago. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the, the, the film that got Miyazaki the money to open Studio Ghibli and, you know, kind of become this big figure in global animation that he's become. And, and Nausicaa's got these elements that we know from his other work, right? It's very like, oh yeah, this is what his deal is. And yeah, as Arthur kind of alluded to, Lupin the Third's much uh, different. It's not as plotting and methodical as, as you mentioned. And I like that about the the Miyazaki films I, I've seen. Uh, I like them on an okay. It has a lot going on. Um, but yeah, this is just boom, 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 quick, quick, quick. Um, even made more so. Dustin mentioned translation stuff. I uh, I did the, a thing I like to do, which is where I watch the dub and also the subtitles at the same time. What? I love getting two translations at once. It's it's a weird way I to watch. Tried a movie. starting it, and they were so <clears throat> different. I was like, I can't. It's weird, yeah, because they're always talking about the same thing, but there's the detail in the English version is so much more, and there's so they don't let the film breathe. So I did end up switching back and forth between English and Japanese a little bit in some segments because you. Can can tell when there, there's a lot of, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, ADR. They've added a lot of dialogue to the dub to kind of fill the quiet moments that Miyazaki likes, and it is it's a, kind of it's a little frustrating. I mean, there's stuff That's interesting. I watched only the uh, the, the sub, okay. but I lost track of watching the subtitles because I got so arrested by the visuals at times. There you go. <laughs> and well, so I was like, oh, what did they just say? I don't know. That's and a big would, reason I, I like watching dubs in anime. Yeah. Um, plus, I, just, I like American voice actors, or English voice actors, I should say. I don't know. I, I, there's, there's a fun... They're still trying to go for the same style uh, of, um, you know, voiceover that you get from Japanese uh, voice actors. They're kind of, like, trying to embody that and still westernize a little bit. I don't know. I'm fascinated by, like, that specific coaching tree of, of like voice Billy acting. Bob Thornton in Princess Mononoke no well a little bit I was thinking more <laughs> of the people who like you know make a living of it doing the shows oh, and stuff not, not like the, Patrick Stewart in Nausicaa yeah not when they they, do, they tap yeah not like Shia LaBeouf in Nausicaa not yeah when they tap big <laughs> actors to come in yeah, you forgot about that one Arthur made a face at that baby Did Shia. you forget about Shia LaBeouf in that one I didn't watch it Oh, you didn't watch that one? Mm. Wow, God, it's been a long time it since it's recorded. Forever. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of this, Arthur, and um, I, I have been more tempted than you uh, previously to do a Miyazaki deep dive, but yeah, watching this, I was like, I got it. I've been putting this off for too long, because I think this is, I guess this is the third one of his that I've seen now, and basically every time we watch one, I'm like, why do I, I got to start watching this dude's movies. They're all so good. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy this a lot. As Arthur said, it's fun, it's rompy. Um, I don't know enough about animation to explain the cool thing they did to make motion look so fluid. I know that there's a cool thing that uh, Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki is kind of like famous for. I think uh, if I remember correctly, Into the Spider-Verse is kind of using a similar technique, but with mm-hmm. computers. 
Anyway, I know animators can do a cool thing that makes motion look good. I don't know enough about it to describe it, but they're doing it here, and I like it. It just everything is so crisp and smooth. Uh, I love these moments where things get slapsticky and you get some almost Looney Tunes esque uh, running on the air. Like I love all of that about this. Like this ability this film has to kind of dip in and out of serious tones and light tones, and it, it's a really strength of anime as a form and a methodology of like storytelling. Period. Uh, but this film is just doing a great job of it. Yeah, I, it's always fun to visit a, a a renowned master's first work. This kicks ass. It was a good watch. Very good, very good. Um, I also liked it quite a bit. I do think it's kind of like watching maybe like uh, Killer's Kiss or something like that from Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, you know, basically like, what I just like, said. Yeah, like, yeah, journeyman kind of work when later on that uh, um yeah, director like that. works itself into auteur yep. sort of levels, and so it feels more like you know, okay, this is my job. And yeah. I'm doing a thing with the property, but also my talent and my abilities are there and obvious. And so I, I see that, although I definitely like the later Miyazaki works that I've seen quite a lot better. Yeah, just um, because Guillermo del Toro made Mimic didn't mean he wasn't going to do all of his weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think Mimic's a good comparison, yeah. honestly. I mean, Mimic is a good movie. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, interesting. Okay. This is a del Toro movie. So let's go back to his indie movies. Before that, let's go forward after he's sort of got his own production uh, money to do his own thing. And like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to like those things better. But that being said, Mimic is not... Um, a movie that's not rewarding upon watching, and the same can be said at the Castle of Cagliostro. It's definitely a rewarding watch. Uh, so I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I watched it with my otaku son, who has become recently very obsessed with all things anime. Oh, he's gone gone full, oh, full he, in, huh? He is really into soapy kind of just teenage. <laughs> which which one? Uh, I don't even know. I no, no, I mean which, which of the son? kids? Oh, Josiah. <laughs> that makes my more youngest sense. son. Yeah, yeah, Isaiah's too cool for anime. He's kind of really where I, is. Yeah, he's going through what I was going through at that time. Yeah, kind of, yeah. I get that. I, I mostly want to kill him. So, yeah, that makes I sense. I think my father mostly wanted to kill me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that checks out. I'll fight I your son for you. Dustin wants to kill you is what he's saying. Well, I know. Okay. I mean, he's mad at how much his kid has grown up to be like me. If I wanted you dead, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you would have to find me first. I know where you live. Yeah, I, I can disappear like <laughs> that, man. I'm De Niro in the heat, baby. <laughs> You'll never get me. You gotta catch me. <laughs> I'm like the predator, man. Anyway, uh, that being said, uh, I enjoyed the movie. It was a lot of fun. It was a bit silly. It was a bit ridiculous. I wasn't ready for the quite Looney Tunes kind of action where trap doors might open up under you. You and fool. You, You're an and, idiot that you don't love this. Get to bounce on the air a little bit. But that being said, it was fine. It, it was Pearls okay. before swine. Um, it was it was an okay and enjoyable experience, and the big reveal at the end as to what the big mystery or treasure was was. Interesting, uh, to say the very least. So well, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so yeah, I had a good time with it. I enjoyed the watch. Uh, my son very much loved it. It's like, oh my goodness, this is great. I said, what's Miyazaki? He's like, who's Miyazaki? I'm like, uh, Princess Mononoke. And he's like, ah, right. I'm like, you need to watch Nasuke. He goes, okay. So we'll see. But yeah, anyway. he wants to have his Otaku Street cred. He's got to go through the studio. Yeah, look, you got that. Put you got that ringer. HBO Max now. He's put, seen put Akira. It, he's he's watching Cowboy Bebop. You know. Oh, he is. He knows what's up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, cool. That, that's my boy. We're going to talk about that more in a second. Actually, are, are we? Well, interesting. Well, so there you go, dear listener. Our thoughts are generally pro and positive towards this first outing from Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, we're going to now um, break a chair on the floor, and then after that, we're going to move into expanding the syllabus, in which we. Uh, Pretend like we're going to teach this in part of a class. You can tell us more about the class itself, more about whether it's in film studies or sociology or psychology or, I don't know, Japanese history. Um, good luck to you all. Uh, whatever it happens to be. And uh, talk about framing this class and then what other additional readings and or viewings you would add to it. So I go to you first, Dalton. Expand the syllabus for the castle of Cagliostro. Well, we won't be doing a history of the great island nation of Nippon, but we will be, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about anime. Uh, this class is called How I Stopped... Dalton's oh, going to teach a class on anime, guys. Yeah, well, hey, here... I, I mean, I, I hear your title already, but I just want to just take a moment to recognize the moment. Dalton is about to teach a class on anime. Well, Dustin, I am so glad that your, your, your sons came up this episode, because I'm going to take the listener and the theoretical student on a journey... From where when I was your your oldest son to when I to now when I became your youngest son, uh, I used to be too cool for anime. He's this... less mature now than he used to be. That's right, yes. your listener. Well, and listener, here's the trick: part of being mature is becoming less mature and realizing that's all farce. Woo-hoo. When I was a child, I thought I was a child. I spoke as a child. And I reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I put away all childish things, which included trying to act so much like a grown up. There it is, bingo. So uh, to that end, uh, yeah, I, if you not have if you haven't been listening to the show for a long 
long time. You might not understand what Dustin's doing. I had a whole bit where I uh, talked about how much I hated anime, uh, pervert cartoons and such, and I assure you, they are cartoons for perverts. Uh, that said, they're also really fucking good and interesting and complicated and weird. Uh, and ha- these these darn cartoons uh, that we call anime have an ability to capture multiple aesthetics and tones and philosophies uh, and various like storytelling, like foundational global storytelling tropes and like weave them into new things. Like, I don't know, kind of like maybe pro wrestling is the only other thing that does it quite like this. Uh, I thought Arthur would like that. Arthur is looking at me like I'm speaking uh, for the sages right now. And I appreciate that. Uh, So yeah, this class is called how I learned how to stop being too cool and love the anime. Uh, We are going to be doing Arthur's making fun of me now. Uh, Correct. As he should. So uh, we're actually going to be looking at a lot of the films that uh, we've discussed on the show, uh, that we discussed in our anime marathon, because that was a big part of me kind of coming to uh, appreciate this this form that uh, you know, I didn't really give a shit about uh, until about three or four years ago. Uh, so we're going to look at Paprika, uh, Summer Wars, and Akira. All three of those we talked about in a marathon with Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind uh, a long time ago now. Uh, but they're they're all so good. Uh, Madhouse is the studio that put up Paprika and Summer Wars, uh, and TMS Entertainment put up uh, Akira. TMS Entertainment has their name all over a bunch of stuff, both Western uh, and, and Japanese that uh, you've definitely watched before. Uh, Madhouse uh, has some uh, some pretty interesting credits to their name as well. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but I think those films are just really good. They're they're a great kind of capturing of. Uh, the different things that anime can do, both in tone, in terms of tone and style. Uh, we're also going to look at a film called Sword of the Stra- Sword of the Stranger, uh, which is a, a period piece. It's not uh, a science fiction or uh, contemporary set story like those other three. This one is, you know, it's it's swords and samurai. There's ninjas. It's super violent and it rules. Uh, it's it's again. I think these four films give us a, a fun sampling. Again, Akira is you know this uh, cyberpunk. Uh, is hugely influential. You're aware of Akira, listener, even if you haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, I think it's 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 hack at this point to say you got to watch it to get anime. But I, I think it is a big part of kind of understanding a lot of the themes that are at work in anime. And I think probably the first session of this class is probably just going to be a quick, uh, as Dustin said, help you. God help you if you want to teach a class on Japanese history. We're definitely not going to do that. But we, we, you know, we can set aside a class for like, all right, here's a, a dummies. Uh, you know, quick intro into Japanese history to kind of lay some, you know, important contextual groundwork for discussing this this art. Um, once we get through those movies, I think we'll also do a, a quick TV show uh, kind of survey. Um, we're not going to do any one series in its whole, but maybe, you know, uh, a pilot. Um, you know, maybe like, eh, maybe give some extra credit if you want to write about a whole series that we didn't watch in class. But we're definitely going to look at Cowboy Bebop because it rules... Uh, and Sinchiro Watsnabe, who, uh, who's the director of that show, and also uh, Samurai Shampoo, which she did after that, is uh, really great at doing this thing that we were just talking about, uh, with that I was just talking about with anime, which is taking these different aesthetics and mashing them together and creating something weird. Bebop's this jazzy, bluesy space western. Samurai Shampoo's this samurai hip-hop show. Uh, I, I think they're really interesting in terms of here is a quick explosion of content uh, because both those shows throw a lot at you very quickly and don't care like to explain that much of the world to you uh even samurai shampoo which is much more you know dealing with um the history of, of japan uh, it's like yeah you don't need to worry about this stuff you don't even understand like how humanity colonized space and cowboy bebop you just need to know that they did and it's yeah it's it's the wild west because of course it is um i love that uh, about those shows uh, I think we'll also look at One Punch Man, which uh, is uh, you know adapted from manga as most, uh, not most, much Another of the anime favorite is. of my sons. Well, and a very good one. Another one from Madhouse, who did Paprika and Summer Wars. They animated the first season of that show, not the second. But uh, I think that show does a really good job of uh, kind of critiquing uh, superhero stories in general. Uh, but also, it, it does a really interesting job of taking Western city destruction films uh, that you get from superheroes and then taking kind of the, the kaiju destruction film, city destruction films you get from Japan and kind of mashing those aesthetics in a really interesting way. Uh, again, uh, Japan tackles superheroes and they are very much kind of doing, I think, uh, a takedown of like Western superhero conventions on One Punch Man more than anything else. The, the ways in which they have fun with that is they introduce bureaucracy and all kinds of wacky stuff. It's great. Um, 
but yeah, those are the shows we'll look at. We'll probably check out a little bit of uh, Neon Gen- Genesis Evangelion too because it is uh, an anime that you're not ready to watch. I think until you get anime a little bit. Unfortunately, it's it's dense and it's weird and it's kind of idiosyncratic and has a lot of uh the, the horniness that anime is known for and until you kind of get a groove and an understanding of how sexuality is used within anime cuz it's not used how you would expect it to be used it's it's often used at cross being used at cross purposes uh and and i think until you've kind of got your footing in that it's some stuff so it's just too off putting honestly uh, it was for me i mean that was a big barrier to entry for me getting into it i was like this stuff is all way too horny and like in a way that I find upsetting, (laughs) confusing. Uh, And part of that is because it's supposed to be, especially with Neon Genesis. Uh, Yeah, that's a show that wants you to be confused by the ways in which it's horny because it's kind of commenting on that aspect of anime. So yeah, I think that's why, why we'll kind of end with those TV shows. I think anime film, at least for me anyway, is really a much better introduction. It's kind of bites. You got 140 minutes to two hours you get your story, you get the themes, you get to kind of understand what they're telling you. As TV shows, you know, then you got to set aside 10 hours to get down, you know, 20, 30 episodes of a series to kind of understand what they're doing. I think it's harder to kind of crack the egg on that stuff. And was why well, was a big barrier. There's a big barrier to entry for me with getting into it. So I think if we, uh, we look at films and then we do kind of a survey of TV shows, um, I, I think anybody who thinks they don't like this stuff will find themselves surprised at how much they like it because I know I did. Very cool, very cool. Well, thank you very much for that, and uh, it's nice to see how you've come around, Dalton. Hey, like you said, um, I put it away childish things. I am not too cool for anime, it turns out. It it rules. It does kind of rule. All right, Arthur, what class are you teaching? I am going to look at the trope of uh, what I'm calling the compromise, wherein the uh, detective and the bad guy have to put aside their oh, differences to work together. Mm. And so we get a bit of that here. Uh, there's not much depth, I don't think, to what's going on between uh, Lupin and uh, the inspector uh, from Interpol. Uh, but it's a fun trope, I think, uh, in a lot of situations. And so mine uh, syllabus is going to circulate around that. It's actually going to consist of movies that we have done on the show kind of unintentionally. I just thought about that as I was looking at my list. Uh, but I'm going to start with uh, John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13, uh, where um, we kind of have this Western ah. take, and uh, we have uh, a man defending his uh, fort and has to uh, enlist the uh, criminals there to help him. One of the inmates, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I think there's a really interesting dynamic at play there, and especially at that time, and, and bringing in those Western themes as well. Great movie. Uh, from there, I want to look at, and we might even read Red Dragon, but I want to look at Manhunter and Silence of the Lambs. Nice. Uh, the Hannibal yeah. connection again. Uh, but looking at Hannibal Lecter's uh, relationship with Will Graham and also his relationship with Clarice, uh, which feels thematically appropriate as well, and maybe even looking at some of the Hannibal stuff and see how that even more drastically uh, engages with that relationship between Hannibal and Will, which uh, goes to fascinating lengths. Uh, in in the TV series. Uh, from there, I want to look at Out of Sight, uh, which we just most recently looked at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Love that movie. Jennifer Lopez and George Clooney and that dynamic and the sexual politics of that uh, relationship and, and the laurels and the morals that have to kind of be evaluated in, in regard to their uh, relationship in that film. And then from there, I want to look uh, have a little fun look at White Collar uh, with Matt Bomer, the USA oh, yeah. TV show. <laughs> About a white collar criminal who cons a lot of people. That is good trash television. Oh wow. yeah, yeah. Looking at uh, TNT USA dramas uh, for for critical uh, analysis, Arthur. That's 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 what we we've that's come here what to we do. Live for, that's yeah. our business. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it ran for several seasons, but the idea of this uh, criminal uh, being enlisted to help and allowing him some freedom, but also always tempted to go back on the lamb is, uh, I think, really interesting dynamic. Uh, and so I think those would be the texts I would use to outline this. It would probably just be a little section. I don't know, maybe in genre film tropes or something like that. Mm. But it would just be a, maybe a week or two spent uh, looking at this fun trope. I and love you that. Could obviously, broaden it into any. Oh yeah. Good guy, bad guy relationship, and you know, I even thought about some wrestling. This is kind of a common trope in wrestling where a, a bad guy and good guy have to team up, either willingly or unwillingly, to do something. So. Yeah, it's this a plot of Terminator too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's a great trope. There's a reason why uh, it gets used a lot. I I think there's a lot a lot there to be mined, Arthur. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Well, instead of using a trope, I want to talk about archetypes for my class. So my class, the would, gentleman thief, the gentleman thief archetype would be the class indeed. And Ooh. we begin with Michael Caine's The Italian Job, 
And uh, then oh, you're not gonna Kine. do Mark Mark Wahlberg? No, not not Mark. No, no Mark Wahlberg. Um, no, we're Michael not gonna. Kine. Unbelievable! This fucking guy, Master Wayne. <laughs> Arthur and I will just do accents at you. <laughs> That's yeah, definitely. Fine. I don't care. Um, then we'll do uh, Castle of Cagliostro, and then I think I'd conclude with 1999's Sean Connery, Catherine Zeta-Jones film, Entrapment. Ooh, nice. And uh, just uh, there'd be a week in the class, and so other archetypes would make up the rest of the class. But one week we would talk about the Gentleman Thief and. And that's how we would do it. That's fun. And I like so, that. yeah, good I time. I wanted to watch Thomas Crown Affair recently. I haven't seen it, Ooh, yeah. but that's one I really want to watch. And that's I not like a that film be... I know. So, yeah. yeah, I know. And I know there's a couple different takes on it. So, yeah. I was surprised to, to hear you not mention that. And now I know why. Yeah, I don't know the movie. Maybe we should add that to the list. Sometime. I mean, I know it's there, Ooh. I know it exists. That, that'd be a fun uh, remake uh, and original episode. We've never actually done that. Well, no, I'm sorry. We did that with um, uh, Infernal, Infernal Affairs and, yeah. Departed, but that's the only time we've done it. That'd be mm-hmm. kind of fun, though. Yeah, it would Interesting. be. That'd uh, be a marathon. Mm-hmm. We'd have to. Well, no, let's just do it for an episode. We can't do a whole marathon of that business. Oh, Arthur, I don't like the I face you're do, making. I can do anything. God, I hate the faces you two are making. <laughs> you're always signing us up for a lot of homework. Hey, those sound like fun classes you guys are teaching, though, and I would be uh, glad to enroll in either of them. So, oh, I'm excited. Very cool, very cool. Well, I think now is the time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. The socks are I took on. out the recycling. I brushed my teeth. Let's do this thing. I so, also brushed my teeth before I came here. Of the kicky music that cues this particular section um, in terms of adult material. Um, yes. And uh, anime sort of has that reputation, right? As, oh, as, as we were talking about just a moment ago. Yeah, yes, yes. Being kind of grown-up comics or grown-up uh, cartoons. Well, right? it's... Uh, it feels more mature. Animation in the West is so sectioned off into being for children. Yeah. Well, this which is, is a mistake that we make. This is the sort of uh, point I was going to try to make is just can we talk a little bit about the compare and contrast between what grown-up cartoons look like in the West as opposed to grown-up cartoons in the East? Because grown-up cartoons in the West what I'm thinking about are like Fritz the Cat, which is X-rated because it's got like boner jokes and well, they smoke saying, a lot most of ours of... just dig a fart jokes. Yeah, I mean, right. I yeah, your references. It's, it's yeah. South Park, right? Well, it's Rick and Morty. I mean, it can be yeah, smart. The it can be well, the South Park can be smart. Like, but yeah, it is always Scatological it's, and yeah, yeah. It's it's gross. It's weird. It's it's almost exclusively comedy. We don't do a lot of like adult animated uh, dramas in the West. The only thing I can think of even recently is Anomalisa. Yeah, mm-hmm. stop motion. Yeah. yeah, I mean we'll do like a you know we'll you'll have a Western animation studio help out with an anime like the I think the Castlevania that Netflix does. I think that's yeah. Japanese animal, American uh, animation studios working Checks on it. Kinda. I'm not sure. But again, yeah, it's it's just not a thing we do. And you're right, Dustin. It is when we do it. It is, yeah. It's it's sometimes it's sexy, but usually it's it's too concerned with being silly. Yeah, and I think of it, a lot of it. It's probably just a cultural thing. You know, a lot of yeah. American culture. When you hear when a person hears an animated movie, they think automatically it's a you know a kids thing. You know, yeah, it's kind of how we've been ingrained, and it's just a cycle. I think that's. Repeat it until you do have your guys like uh, what's his doodle who did Fritz the Cat or uh, Bashki. Yeah, yeah. Bashki. Well, and his I, whole filmography is a little more adult or Cool World. As yeah, well, mm-hmm. is another kind of take on that. I don't know anything about the the Japanese comic book industry, so I'm not going to try to speak on it. But I, I I wonder if they didn't have the Comics Code Authority thing we had, right? Like there was a forcing of comics are for children because psychologists said so, because this one dude thinks Batman is way too horny, and you know it, it was honestly Batman and Robin's a little horny. Uh, but yeah, th- this one guy was like, it's too horny. I don't like it. Um, and then comic books couldn't have cool stuff in them anymore in the United States. D- what? Don't know. Hey, what are you yeah, going to do? Either. But I don't know if they didn't have that. My, I, I guess the thing is though, there didn't become this like extreme sectioning off, right? Because animation and comic books do kind of go hand in hand a little bit. So I don't know if there's a related thing there. I only mention it because so much of anime comes from the the manga world, right? Right. Their comic books and their manga do tend to be kind of grown up too. Yeah. Well, exactly. That that is it, right? There hasn't been their comic books didn't go through a decades long period of saying these are for children and that's why you can't have objectionable communist materials in them. Um, you know, I don't know if their industry went through that, but it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't, just mm-hmm. because animation, yeah, doesn't have that. Yeah, it's it's not cornered off. Like again, if you like, my understanding is, uh, you know, tacos are weirdos. Even as it's begun, cool to be into nerdy stuff. Uh, I, you know, I don't know that there is like a widespread social acceptance of these things within you know Japanese culture. We don't. I, who knows? They're a huge export, but uh, you know, it seems like they uh, have a low opinion of their nerds as well. I guess is what I'm saying. 
And I'd be curious to know, like, sort of viewership and uh, box office sales and that kind of stuff. Because the Bashki stuff seems like people went to, right? Like, American or Western audiences checked out. Well, that, and that is, I guess, an interesting thing to bring up. Because, yeah, some of these do well. Yeah. Uh, I know most of the Studio Ghibli movies make a ton of money. But, you know, Pixar movies make a ton of money. But I'm curious about, like, the one example I can think of of something of a more mature kind of animated mm. uh, set of films, which also are related directly to the comic book world, which is Heavy Metal and the Heavy Metal... Um, Canadian, uh, Canadian. Well, but still Western, go. though. Sure, but Maybe yeah, two thousand. Uh, well, that, well, two thousand also. But I was thinking about the first one in from the eighties, eighty, whatever yeah. it was. But it comes from a comic book, right. uh, Publication, and yeah. I, I'm just curious because I feel like that's a that's bit a more marginal. It's a bit more niche. It's a bit yeah. more. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, and that's I. That's the only reason I mentioned it was Canadian because it was not a thing we were doing. Still, yeah. we got involved in it, but it wasn't really our thing. And yeah, it is very much. It's it's the closest thing we that you can think of to like Western animation that fits in that same pocket that is yeah. doing lots of different things. And that's a big part of why anime has all these aesthetic mashups, right? Because if you're not doing it just for kids, then you can take a lot of kind of grown aesthetics, which heavy metal does. I mm-hmm. think our couple of our best efforts are honestly are The Simpsons and King of the Hill, which are very much these adult dramas dressed up in animation. Obviously, Simpsons is a lot more slapstick and satire, but it's dealing with topics that kids really don't understand or comprehend even though we have two protagonists who are children themselves but they're operating at a higher level but even more so with king of the hill i mean yeah that's not it's, really it's a, kid a show at all yeah it's a family dramedy mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then the tack the topics that they tackle and deal with i think over the course of you know their their seasons are very ingrained into a very particular subculture of america oh totally yeah ah, good show yeah Really great show. But yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Dustin, because it is a weird thing. Uh, I, I think we should probably pivot to talking about Miyazaki. And, you know, we, we do our best to, uh, when we talk about auteur theory, just kind of talk about it as an option for doing film analysis. But, mm-hmm. I mean, he's got such a big footprint in, in the world of animation, um, period. I mean, again, I, I, we mentioned Pixar just a second ago, but I know that that's, that's a big influence on them is the work of Miyazaki. And, like, when they're kind of forming the the philosophy of that studio, Miyazaki's uh, work was a huge influence. Um, I was even, well, I even read that this was a pretty heavy influence on Spielberg and Lucas for Indiana Jones, you know. So, I mean, Miyazaki's uh-huh. reach is... I think well, even the clock fight in the Great Mouse Detective yeah. is apparently inspired by this clock yeah. encounter. So yeah, I mean he's he's a a big damn deal. So I guess that's that's why I mentioned. Yeah. Let's do a little auteur theory. Let's. Uh, I, I know Dustin. Have you seen the most Miyazaki? I think Arthur and I have only seen the stuff we've done for the show. I've seen a handful. I've I mean, Mononoke. Um, yeah, this I mean, the wind rises. I've seen Spirited Away. I've Spirited seen Away. Mononoke. Mm-hmm. I saw Ponya. Ponya. I didn't see that. I've seen The Wind Rises, mm-hmm. which I watched with Dustin and his kids, I think. And then uh, maybe It. Okay. So we both got, I guess all three of us have enough. You guys more than me. Uh, I mean, I've seen, seen his one. first and his last, so. There you go. I haven't, <laughs> which I think that's probably a good foundation to work from, yeah. right? Um, how does this fit within kind of like his, his sensibilities to you guys? Um, I mean, I'm, again, I've only seen three of them. Um, how, where, how do you all feel? I mean, he feels like he's kind of all over the place. He's interested in different kinds of stories. He loves aviation. He loves he aviation. Big thing. Yeah, he, he loves old buildings. Yeah, I mean, some of his political stuff I think gets in here with the whole UN Interpol thing, where they're like, nah, "Love you that subplot." Mess with us. But he, it almost seems like this is a uh, a set designer who also happens to be a filmmaker. He was an animator, right? An I mean, animator, he was working yeah. as an animator. Yeah, he loves the map painting stuff. And he loves so, the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess in terms of the thematic, maybe. I mean, what is Wes Anderson's thematic? We know his design. Quirk. I mean, he's not... I mean, that's why he gets dunked on so much, right? he's all aesthetic. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but there's no, like... Well, he's tried to branch out. ...through line in his... But Miyazaki seems to be something similar to Wes Anderson to me in that sense. He's got an aesthetic. He's got a look that he's into. Through his filmography? What I I know of it. I mean, I I think think Nausicaa... very politically and environmentally minded. Oh well, I mean, and philosophically, I, well, I don't see the environmentalism in, say, this film. I don't see it in uh, The Wind Rises. Even, I mean, it's an anti-war statement, but I don't see the environmentalism like I see in Nausicaa or Mononoke. But again, there you but have think, two films where he's doing the same thing. Name me two Wes Anderson films where he's doing the same thing. Yeah, I, well, I, I guess you could maybe family stuff in a couple, but but I, yeah, that's I, a lot. Of and it, I don't know yeah, enough of dynamic. it to know, and that that's part of what I'm saying too. Well, I think even Wind Rises, though, that's kind of his autobiographical movie, right? Mm-hmm. It's him dealing with his own. He gets about his dad a lot. Aviation and the war and things like that and his role through all of that. Yeah. And 
how all those events impacted him and his fascination with mm-hmm. aviation. Yeah, I I uh, I think Mononoke and and um, Nausicaa are the two that you know obviously having been the other two I've seen, but I'm glad you brought them up, Arthur, because, yeah, there's a lot that those two share in terms of just this interest in our relationship to uh, the planet and how that relationship gets messed up by war and warfare. But you're right, like, the the politicking in this is more about just how no good can ever happen because systems are set up to Bureaucracy is a problem, yeah. Yeah. And a lot, I would imagine most of those early films are probably heavily influenced by the kind of Japanese philosophy. And, and I wouldn't be theology. surprised to find yeah. out like Graveyard of the Fireflies being similar to that. I mean, I don't know, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't have the same sort of anti-bureaucratic I kind of like thing. I feel like it has, I think it's got some of the anti-war stuff. Oh, boy, well, well, does it, as I understand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that probably enters in, yeah. Um, I uh, I like that whole subplot where uh, the inspector has to go to the, uh, not the UN, I guess it is... I don't Interpol. Know, I it's Interpol. Yeah, is it the Interpol members? It's weird. Yeah, everybody's mad at each other. I love it. Uh, Dustin, you know this. Uh, Arthur, you probably... Did you just watch the dub when you turned your subtitles off? Or I, did you switch the subtitles? I, I, I switched to the subtitles immediately. Okay. Like, they were just gotcha. figuring out that the bills were counterfeit at like five minutes in. So I, I switched pretty quickly. Well, here's the thing that you'll both find interesting then. Watching the dub and the subtitles at the same time, uh, they remove all the racism from the dub, which is interesting. Whoa. Because I think it doesn't enter in a lot, but it is interesting like how insular, and again, you know, this kind of city-state that Cagliostro is supposed to be, right? It's it's kind of a Monaco situation where, who, you know, who they yeah. rob at the beginning. But, you know, it's, it's a city-state scenario. The castle is the country. That's it, period. We got a couple of those in the real world. Sure is weird, huh? Anyway, it, it, their kind of insularness and uh, them being this kind of European uh, city-state uh, revealed to have Roman architecture underneath it, which we don't need to get into the history of the Goths and the Visigoths and all that bullshit, but suffice to say, lots of parts of Europe had a vested interest in being considered the heirs to the Roman Empire for a very long time. Yes. So it, it's weird to... I'm not weird. It's... Uh, it makes a lot of sense that the dub of this cuts that stuff that Miyazaki would be interested in, right? Mm-hmm. These Europeans who don't want these uh, this Japanese thief or this Japanese detective messing with their stuff. Uh, I don't know. It, it was weird to me how just how aggressively it's cut out of the, right. the yeah, English yeah. dub. Uh, it really it, it was the one moment where the the translation difference is the most substantial. Well, considering it's from the one nation that uh, upon whom nuclear weapons have been dropped, whose empire was utterly destroyed um, by Western imperialism itself, um, that, yeah. and they were doing their own kind of imperialism when that happened. Yeah, it's, I mean, they, it's yeah, interesting it, history. It, it's it's complex, and there's a lot of things going on. I don't want to like paint a rosy picture of Japan in the no, 1940s, but, the, but... Miyazaki's films tend to, and, and a lot of anime, tends to have a very nuanced understanding of, like, ethnic difference and of, like, war and the, the relationship between those two things. Yeah. Conf- conflict and racism. For sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a bummer to see it cut out of the English dub, but it's yeah. not surprising. Yeah, no, no, it's not surprising at all. Uh, the other thematic that I was thinking about quite a lot with the movie was just that um, the only way to get anything done is to work against the law. I the, the sort of you know idea of working under the radar. Yeah, well, and that's the thing that becomes so frustrating for. Uh, oh my gosh, I don't have the uh, the detective's name down, but uh, it's the thing that becomes so frustrating for him, right? Is this realization that. The only way, uh, Zingata, there we go. Mm-hmm. Zingata realizes the only way that he's going to be able to get anything done is if he works with Lupin, which he finds incredibly distasteful because he's the most straight laced policeman on the face of the planet. But, uh, well, look, when your institution's a bastard, it forces you to be a bastard, and he right. has to realize that. And it is kind of a fun moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously, all these nations don't want it revealed that there's millions, if not billions, of dollars of. Not just dollars. There's millions and billions of units of currency out in the world. From the Gothic Corporation. Speaking of your Gothics and your Visigoths and Ostrogoths yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. From from the, the Goths of this country. Uh, yeah. And they're buying this money because they need it to, uh, you know, prop up their own economies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The system is not designed to reform. It is designed to self-sustain. I had to yell at my mom about Elon Musk yesterday. And I felt really bad about it. I got in my soapbox a little bit, though. But she, she mentioned being excited. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. She mentioned being excited about, you know, oh, well, you know, I hope Tulsa gets that. Oh, Mom, no, you don't. And here's why. And then I had to yell about what a grifter he is and him, his brother with his bullshit solar farm, wherever that is. The point is, 
I, I say all that because, as with you know, Count Cagliostro, right? These these institutions of power are not designed to get better. They're designed to pass power on to the next Cagliostro, or they're designed to allow the you know the economies of the United States and the USSR to keep infusing um, their cash poor nations with counterfeit bills. It's yeah, it's all a, a grift, man. And uh, that's yeah, our inspector has to learn to to work with Lupin, even though he does not want to do that. It's 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 cute. It's a learning moment for everybody. Well, which moves us to uh, a discussion from a couple weeks ago, um, Lupin, in regard to Robin Hood, the Prince of Thieves, um, ah. and also Goemon, who is the Japanese version of the same sort of story, right? Yeah. And this idea that uh, what's going to have to happen in order to have any kind of justice is somebody's going to have to take power and rob the rich. They're going to have to steal their stuff. Is that and, what uh, Goemon does in his yeah, stories? Yeah, yeah this is Goemon the 13th yeah. who's teamed up with Lupin. He's got more to do in the anime. Yeah, earlier on, Goemon is like in the uh, the Warring States period, and uh, you know he's uh, Ieyasu and Tokugawa and all that sort gotcha. of you know major shoguns. Uh, is, is where the maybe yeah. an historical figure might have existed, but maybe not. Gotcha. And, well, but, Lupin's you know a folk character from France who was mm-hmm. a gentleman thief, and like I think it's whatever France's equivalent of the Victorian era is. I don't, yeah. I don't know what they call that time period for them. Yeah, I don't know either. But yeah, I love it's it's you know League of Extraordinary Gentlemen type stuff. Yeah. But you're saying that's a. a, a, a factor within those original Goemon stories, too? Yeah, it absolutely is. And I'm just thinking about these sort of American Robin Hood, the French Lupin, uh, the Japanese Goemon, and there's Well, the American Zorro. The American Zorro. Oh, yeah. The Mexican-American Zorro. Nice Let the play. Brits have their Robin Hood. We'll take our, our Zorro, buddy. we got nice. a much cooler hero. Yeah, we Nicely do. Hell yeah. Played. Here's to the Southwest, and it's but, all but, of its cool shit. There does seem to be this sort of like universal play, and I'm glad you bring up the American Zorro, which I hadn't thought of, that there is a sort of universal sort of inclination towards saying there's going to have to be somebody who rejects the system and then robs and steals and plunders. But as we pointed out with Robin Hood, um, and as an issue with Zorro, and as an issue with Lupin, they're all gentlemen. Yeah. They're all rich. It is an assumption that uh, o- only the people who already have means can you know help can the poor, do that. Well, yeah, that you, you need Tony Stark. You need Bruce Wayne, right? Yeah. It's, it's the, the superhero problem that, damn it! Ah, oh, I thought we would get to the end of the episode without talking about him. Sorry. But, I mean, Batman is tied up in the, the origin of Zorro, right? Superhero origins are tied up in these characters where, you know, the archetype of the gentleman thief is a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I just I just simply want to point out that there is something in human storytelling which resists. And I, I, I don't know if I want to say anything more about it. Than just it's a very that. cool impulse across cultures. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it rules. So, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. Other uh, big thematics? Uh, I guess we can close. We, we kind of talked around Cagliostro as a city-state, uh, and we talked about Rome and the Visigoths. Like, mm-hmm. I guess we can kind of end there with Empire, since we're kind of talking about reform and stuff. Under the... Well, that's kind of the thing that's weird, right? Is like so much of it's just left over, and so much of you know the next thousand years or so of uh, European history up to the colonization of the Americas is about who's going to be Rome. Like, it's all about, oh, wasn't it cool when we were cool? Oh, man. Oh, Grumpus. Oh, man. Doesn't it suck that Arabian peoples invaded Spain and made it way cooler? Oh, man. It's just having your fifis hurt for 700 years because you forgot how plumbing worked and you're all covered in shit and boils. (laughs) I I don't know. I like being mean to Europe. It's fun. Uh, But it is an interesting period because that's how you end up with Monaco and with, you know, I don't know the names of the other ones. There's like three or four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what you're talking Cagliostro. about. Cagliostro. Like, that's how you end up with these weird centers of power because you had royal families that didn't get murdered, that didn't ever have a revolution. As you said, like, there is this impulse within these different folk tales uh, that is about resisting power, right? You kind of sometimes end up with people who have enough consolidated power that the evolution of the modern nation state as we know it is never able to break up their family wealth. So they just consolidate family wealth until they get to be a tiny country. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an absurd thing, and like Miyazaki being like, the only way that that would really work is if they're doing something shady with money, which you know Monica, yeah, it's, checks out. I mean, makes a lot of money off of gambling and having what, the race car thing that happens there, right? Uh, they do there, a big race there, uh, probably. I don't know. I feel I like there's an Iron Man episode or yeah. film about that. Yeah, yeah, the ah. Grand Prix isn't that what it is? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know anything about racing cars. Who cares? 
Uh, funny looking cars. This is going a movie really the only reason you drive cars fast is to smash them into each other and film it. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Yes. So who cares about races? But the point is, like, it, it is weird that that's just a thing that exists within the, the history of the, this planet and our and our peoples. You just end up with empires that kind of fall apart, right? And the, the the vestigials that, like, the appendices of these empires that continue to exist for a thousand years, and basically everybody kind of forgets about it. It is weird. Well, and I think what Monaco and Cagliostro sort of point to is the sort of uh, end game of the nation state itself as empire and points us maybe possibly forward to the uh, sort of global capitalistic oligarchy and how those things maybe form new kind of conglomerations of power. Right? Well, yeah, because power stops being about family ties and starts being about, you know, the monetary ties. Monetary yeah. ties, and yeah, the, the relationships between markets and stuff. I turn you to um, Antonio Negri and uh, Michael Hart's great study empires uh which is a great sort of economic study of this phenomenon i think antonio negri is the guy that did the uh, long 20th century that i was talking about the other week probably so he's a italian philosopher went to prison for a long time for blowing some stuff up oh no might be a different guy actually (laughs) negri's much cooler than your. yeah i think my guy's just an academic i don't think he did anything like that negri used to blow (laughs) stuff up uh, but yeah, I mean, it's price fixing, like uh, currency fixing, that's a thing that happens in the world. I, I don't know nearly enough uh, about it to talk about it other than to say, did you guys know that somebody made a whole bunch of money on 9-11? I remember what it was. I did some research. It, it's all come back to me. Did you know that somebody made a bunch of money but, off yeah, the stock yeah, market? The end, oh, oh, okay. The stock, I did not Nobody know. Nobody knows. Oh. Uh, it's just a big question mark. There's a bunch of futures that like paid out huge because of some shit. That, I don't understand how it huh. works. That's the thing. I can't explain it. Because I don't understand how price... It's the like, Illuminati. It's, yeah, there's like a currency manipulation thing. It, it wasn't anything illegal. It just happened to work out really well that certain currencies changed certain directions mm. on that day. Huh. Like somebody had done the Gross. homework on what would happen if certain things happened. And they... They've been on black. Yeah. They've been on black. It's the same with, with Nazi gold, though, right? Like, mm-hmm. we've been talking around, like, the Nazi empire comes into existence because of a fetidization of the, the Roman empire. Same thing with fascist Italy. It's all about this, like, desire to become an empire again, whether it's a, you know, a tiny family nation state or a big capitalist mm-hmm. oligarchy. It is all about money. And when those things inevitably implode on themselves because of the weight of their evil, all that money's just left over on the table. Right. And, you know, you make a printing press and, you know, it's yeah, it's it's a weird you can subplot. Make more. It's like the only thing going on in this movie, really. But it is kind of a ton of fun. Other than that, there are only two women in this film, and they talk about the male lead and how hot he is, and what a, a cat he is. It's uh, it is truly cements Lupin as a James Bond type, if nothing yes, else, for sure. For sure, for sure. Well, alrighty, guys, let's render a verdict on the Castle of Cagliostro. What do you say, Arthur? Shelf or trash? You know what? I wouldn't be ashamed to have this on my shelf. I, I like it quite a bit, and uh, it's, uh, for me, kind of a fun shifting point in, in looking at anime. So, yeah, I'll I'd shelf it. Never be ashamed. Never apologize. I won't. Okay, good. Um, what do you say, Dalton? <laughs> shelf for trash. I'm going to agree with Arthur. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of bought in on Nausicaa immediately, and then with uh, Princess Mononoke, I was like, oh, this rules too. But um, our, as, our, as Arthur has said, yeah, this film is kind of easy breezy, goes down smooth. It's a warm hug of a, of a of a romp. It is a very easy entry point into both Hayao Miyazaki and anime at large. Uh, I think it's yeah, it's great to have on your shelf. Like, what's not to like in this film? It's it, it's all the horny stuff is like turned down to one and a half. Uh, it makes it very easy to get into anime. It's great. Very cool, very cool. For me, it's just okay. So I would say trash. I would, uh, I, 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 I wouldn't mind watching it again. But I'd rather watch Mononoke. I'd rather okay. watch Nausicaa. I hear what you're saying, but what if there was a James Bond movie where he had to like infiltrate a castle full of clockworks and guillotines and ninjas that were also knights? Like that's and cool. Monsters or something. I mean, yeah, I, it's I cool. Like, I like the ninja monkey knights. There's I, lasers <laughs> too. But they feel like foot soldiers. They feel like a really heavy. They do feel like the, the foot. Yeah, yeah, man. The, the foot, foot clan. clan. Yeah. yeah, dude. I would love to find out that the I can't think of their names. The TMNT guys. Yeah. I would love to find out that they like this movie. Eastman. Is that right? Yeah. Eastman is Eastman right. Yeah, is one of them. Something. Um, yeah, you're right. They very proto like Foot Clan. I yeah. love their look. Yeah, but yeah. I'm like, no, really. I mean, it doesn't like, do it for you. No, I wouldn't watch it again. Lupin, he d- like right away. Dustin no. Lupin disguises himself as a cardinal. I like that. <laughs> but I also he's called like as fool. soon as I saw the card. I'm like, oh, he's the cardinal. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, it's pretty heavily telegraphed. Yeah, it? yeah. I love it. I love oh, the yeah. scheming. I love the Ocean's Eleven ass stuff. Like, yeah. here's how you do a heist. I don't need. Hey, Soderbergh. I look. I like the movie. I don't need a montage of how they did it. I'm smart. I got it. It's fine. 
don't know. You kind of do need that montage. It is fun. I kind of like that the film just. I like that the film just goes surprise. Lupin's the cardinal. Oh yeah, that's right. They took his car earlier. Duh. Kicks ass. Yeah, I'm. It's fine. I love that he disguises himself as the detective by just wearing a trench coat. Yeah, and then they just. Well, and that's the fun thing with animation is then you just kind of draw them a little bit more similar to that scene. Like you draw their sideburns a little bit closer in length. I love this movie. Arthur, I'm glad we're on the same page. It's fun when we can be it's friends. It's okay to be right once in a while. You guys yeah. both love it. I like it. That's what I would say. Okay. Oh, that's okay. So, fair enough. Again, can we can't all be right all the time. Nah, there you go. All right. Well, are we going to do another movie, Arthur? Well, hold on. we got to do the other thing first. Oh, do it. Uh, don't give us money. Uh, if you're giving us money already, tight. Uh, right now, you know, if you've uh, your wallet feels heavy, go to you know, your local Black Lives Matter chapter. Uh, go to a, a bail relief fund. If you're not on these streets yourself, we got to keep the soldiers out there protesting. So give to a uh, bail charity. Uh, you know, if you can't find one near you, uh, again, there's plenty of national efforts. You can go to the National League of Crap. Can't remember the name of the organization. We're on Twitter. I'm at doll underscore stew. DM me if you uh, want to give somewhere and you're not sure where to start. I'll help you do some research. It'll be fun. Uh, but, you know, if you want to keep up with what we're doing as a show, uh, it's at good underscore trash. We're on Twitter. We're about to start doing something fun. That involves voting on Twitter polls. Doesn't that sound fun to you? Yes. Uh, at I thought so, Arthur. At good underscore trash, if you want to be part of that. Uh, if you want to write about the show, it's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email, uh, rate, review, subscribe. You've listened to a podcast before. All right, Dustin? All right, uh, well, Arthur. There. <laughs> That's the order we do it in. <laughs> Boys. Mm-hmm. I, I just had a vision about a... A movie we're going to do next week. <laughs> this is a walking you're doing, yeah. I'm trying. It's pretty good. No, no, no. It's 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 working. I can yeah. see it in my mind. <laughs> you're is. gonna watch a movie, <laughs> okay? And you might like it, okay? It's David Cronenberg. Oh, I'm definitely gonna like it then. Yeah, it's it's about a guy who can see the demise in the future. Uh, now, it's, uh, Arthur, do you mean to tell me? The Dead Zone. I was turning into Woody Allen as soon as I started. A little bit, yeah. Uh, my walk-ins turn into Woody Allen lately, and then I just can't do a Woody Allen. I don't know what's going on. I'm so excited to watch The Dead Zone. I, I'm I'm stoked, too. I love some Cronenberg, and so, yeah, The Dead Stephen Zone. Stephen King and Cronenberg are two of your favorites, Dustin, I like right? Stephen King. I like Cronenberg. I like walking. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of happy. I, I like Martin Sheen. I'm happy in so many ways. We got the like perfect Venn diagram for Dustin right now. Yeah, truly. I Those are, yeah, a lot of your favorite actors, a lot of your favorite storytellers. Good times for me. So, uh, dear listener, we're going to be watching that next. Uh, tell us what you think of Cagliostro via the means we've already mentioned. Otherwise, uh, stay tuned for the Dead Zone next week. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. Thank you.